How to turn a side project into a full-time gig. This is the Early Days Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Early Days Podcast, the show about the hustle, the excitement, the doubts, the success, the failures, the ups and downs of building a business from scratch. My name is Marin, and with my co-founder Julian, we interview fellow entrepreneurs about their experience from starting businesses. As we're building our own apparel company and documenting our early days, we wanted to go behind the scenes with other entrepreneurs and find out what their early days, weeks, months and years were like. On today's show, we talk to Pat Walls, founder of Starter Story, which is a digital hub where successful entrepreneurs share their experience of how they built the business. In fact, we first connected with Pat when we were asked to share the Doodle story earlier in the year. All the articles on the platform are inspiring and also provide specific advice and insights that help others get started. In our conversation, we talked about how Pat started Starter Story as a side project which he eventually built into a full-time sustainable business. We also got into the details of how he approaches collecting interviews, his thoughts about content planning, frequency and much more. Make sure you check out Starter Story at starterstory.com and read some of the interviews by fellow entrepreneurs. Also say hi to Pat as well on Twitter. He's at the Pat Walls. That's T-H-E-P-A-T-W-A-L-L-S and follow his entrepreneurial journey. Now, without further ado, enjoy our conversation with Pat Walls from Starter Story. So uh, my name is Pat Walls and... Uh... I'm a software engineer by by my professional uh, job, I guess, but I actually just quit my job, which we'll get into later, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've kind of, in the last year, well, I haven't been a software engineer my whole life, but I guess it's kind of, I'm 28 years old now and kind of came across this whole coding thing like three years ago. And then How did you the la- Sorry? How did you stumble into it? So that's a good question. So um, I think I... I actually just wrote this blog post about this, but I kind of stumbled into it my whole life, but never really made the jump to actually learn how to do it. I really should have learned a long time ago is what I'm realizing. No regrets, obviously, but um, there's a lot of opportunities. I knew it, I know, and I knew it was the thing for me to do, but I never just committed to it. So my kind of story is throughout high school, um, I was, you know, kind of into tech and these are like the, the early web 2.0 days. So like dig.com and Engadget and all those websites. I don't know if you guys remember those. Yeah. 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 So those days I was kind of like into this internet. There's this website where you could get free iPod or you could uh, earn free iPods by like referring your friends. And there's this little scheme you could do. And I was making like websites back then trying to make money as like a 14 year old kid on the internet. Um, and then after that, I kind of went to high school and got back into being, uh, got out of that whole internet scene, went to college and ended up studying, um, accounting and economics. So not coding, but, um, yeah. So then after that, after I graduated college, I, I had an accounting degree and I went and worked at this like really corporate firm, like one of the big four accounting firms. And I realized it was like uh, the worst thing ever. It was not for me at all. Like the corporate, now I'm I'm working for myself, but that was the exact opposite spectrum. Like working like in you know suit and tie and uh, just doing 
things that were just seemed so ridiculous, like corporate procedures and things like that. So I quit that job. And then uh, I went and worked at this start. I was in San Francisco, California at the time. And I went and found this startup, kind of startup. They had like 200 employees, but they were a classic Silicon Valley enterprise tech startup. So I started working there and I was doing more uh, like technical stuff. They had this software that was like kind of like coding. It was kind of like a this SQL-like software where I would go and like um, implement these um uh, these applications for these companies. And I like really enjoyed that. So I was like, okay, well, this is awesome. I think the next step is to learn coding. So um, I went to a coding boot camp in San Francisco, which is like three months of just straight learning how to code, learning how to build applications and um, like a really rigorous process did that. And then I became a software engineer. I worked for a couple companies doing like being like a classic programmer. And that's how I stumbled into it. Sorry, it's a super long story, but that's how I got there. No, it's funny because it's similar to to our stories as well. We both didn't graduate, you know, anything related to computer science. And the timing is also kind of the same because we got into it about four years ago. And it was through Treehouse. I don't know if you know, it's an online platform yeah. basically doing the, I guess, the, the boot camp thing, but a bit uh, spread out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a similar story. I mean, it was, uh, it's a good good gig to get into uh, out of practicality reasons, but then, yeah, of course, you can use it as a kind of a springboard for your next uh, next project. Yeah, definitely. So what did you go into and into next? And let's uh, maybe touch on as well when you quit. Did you have a plan or like what was the what was that period like? Uh, when I <clears throat> are you asking about when I quit after the corporate job or after the, the coding thing? Oh, yeah. So after the coding, so. What's great about that coding boot camp is they had this business model where um, you only pay if you get a job. So they're so confident about their um, curriculum and their course that they know they can land you a job. So when you get the job, you um, you pay them a percentage of your first year salary. So that's their business model. So they're very, uh, they do a lot of work to help you get a job and, you know, the, the easy part was learning how to code, probably. The harder part was getting a job with no experience in San Francisco. So um, I was pretty lucky. I, I mean, I applied. It's crazy. They they have this – they approach it like a numbers game. They have you apply to like 50 companies a week. So I applied to, I think, 350 companies in the span of like a month and a half and got like maybe 10 actual – maybe, maybe like 12 actual phone interviews and then got landed like maybe three in-person interviews and got just one job. And that was like my first job. And then, uh, yeah. So it was kind of a crazy process how they have you do that. What kind of a job was it? Um, it was just a software engineer job, uh, for a real estate tech company. And it was on Ruby on rails was there. Um, that's what they taught in the, in the boot camp was, Ruby on Rails and React and like basic SQL and, and, and Ruby and stuff. So, so there's a lot of Ruby companies that are in Silicon Valley and in general. So um, I got a job at a, at a real shop and also doing some React stuff too. But it was just like um, working on a web app is what it was. And was that the the last job? Because you mentioned you just quit your, your job. Is that- uh, yeah. That was the first kind of your first gig in programming. And did you have many after that as well? 
Yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's it's all over the place for me usually. Um, So I got that job. I worked there for about a year and that was in San Francisco. And I think, yeah, throughout that year just became like actually a good, not a good, but like a normal engineer, like out of the boot camp, you learn so much so fast that you're just like, I think you just get a job because you're just so like hungry to get a job and you're really not a very good engineer. At least I wasn't. Some people are just like naturals, but I'm not. So after that year, I just became a much better engineer actually working for um, like a real company and doing real work for a year. So then after that, I wanted to move to New York City uh, just for like personal reasons. I'd been in San Francisco for four years, like including my other careers and stuff like that. So I went and looked for a job there and then it was a lot easier to find a job after I had my one year of experience. And I started working for this uh, e-commerce company called Dia and co. And they do like plus size uh, subscription clothing for women, uh, which is like a really, really popular market. So they're doing really well. And I worked there for uh, a year and like three months. And over the last year, Pretty much after starting there as my full-time job, I working on this side project, I started learning about, now that I had the ability to code, I wanted to, um, I wanted to start something on my own. And I actually had uh, started a, started something like in my job, during my job at San Francisco that had failed with some friends. So I was like looking to start something new. So I started my side project and I was kind of working for the last year, I was working full-time at that e-commerce company as a software engineer. And then working on the side project starter story, which you guys are obviously familiar about, which is like a, a blog that interviews uh, entrepreneurs on how they got started. I would love to go into the specifics of that, how you started your side project. Because a lot of people, I think, got, uh, are getting stuck there. Um, and they usually, at least we've done that mistake as well, like years ago, when you got, get excited about an idea initially, you go register a domain, make a landing yeah. page or a simple website. and uh, that's it. You think you're done, but I mean, you know, and we know as well from experience, that's not really how it is. I'm curious, can you just take us uh, through this journey of starting starter story? Uh, and if you can go as detailed as possible, like tracing back your steps. Yeah, totally. So, um, I got the idea. I, I was looking at this, I was like, in, I was, had started my new job. I had gotten like sort of comfortable there. Let's just like, um, you know, maybe a month or two in and I was, you know, again, this is classic me just looking for something new, something, something better, something bigger, like something to keep up my time. And I came across this, uh, this Reddit post, uh, on r slash entrepreneur. And it was about this guy who, um, <clears throat> started a, uh, an affiliate marketing website. And it was like for some random, uh, industry, like, I don't know, climbing or like outdoors type stuff where they, uh, they just write articles about like popular products or like the industry of outdoor whatever. And they make money from affiliate marketing through uh, Amazon links and, and uh, Amazon affiliate program. So I saw that and <clears throat> at the time I was like, I was so burnt out from this previous startup that we tried to do while I had a full-time job, which was this B2B SaaS app, which is um, was so tough to um, to make work because it was like, I had a couple different co-founders and we were selling to businesses like small businesses, small to medium businesses. And we had to like jump on sales demos while I was at work. So I had to like leave work 
um, in my regular software engineer job for like pretend I was going to lunch, jump on a sales call, or then I get like a mess an email like, oh, this feature isn't working. Like there's some bug or something like that. So I have to like jump out and, and fix this bug. So I was like, how that, how the hell do you build a company as a, um, on the side of a full-time job? I don't have the cash to, and I still like at the time, especially didn't have the means to just quit my job and, and build something. So I really wanted to find something that I could work on on nights and weekends and like not stress during my regular job and, and you know, make my regular salary and, and do well at work. So I saw that Amazon affiliate uh, idea and I was like, okay, that is the, I think the way to go because you can work on it on nights and weekends and there's no really like bugs that you have to deal with, like customer requests. You really just, it's a really just a content website. So um, that's what I, why I wanted to start that and because I had that previous experience that I had. So I immediately like just knowing me is like, I just had to get started right away. So I got started right away. And um, like the idea is I think that to start a, a website just for affiliate marketing is not like a great idea. And I'll get into that. So I started and I was like, okay, what's my industry that I want to build in is I was like, or like, what's a, what's a niche industry that's not, as covered online like it's not as popular like fashion is a bad industry because there's so many fashion blogs um if you want to start a fashion uh blog or, or content website so i was like okay i think i know a good one because i had a friend who does stuff in like the pet industry and pets are really big uh but it's not as like a sexy of an industry so um, you can like more easily get clicks in google or whatever so i was like all right i'm gonna make a website about uh, dogs and cats for pet owners. So I started doing that and like hiring copywriters and, um, and I realized like super quickly, like even like after like a week or two of starting this, I was like, damn, I'm, this isn't going to work. Cause I have no, uh, like motivation to work on. I don't have a dog or a cat and like, I don't really care about the industry at all. So I was like, shit, what, what can I work on? Like, what do I like? love that can also make money as a website and I will be passionate to work on it and really like, uh, you know, grind it out. And I, at that point I realized, Oh, entrepreneurship. Like I personally love podcasts, like how I built this and, um, <clears throat> just love reading books about entrepreneurs and uh, how businesses got started. And then indiehackers.com obviously is, uh, this huge website that just blew up and got uh, acquired by Stripe like just a few months before. And uh, I was like, okay, I want to start, I want to start the indie. I want to do this blog and content idea, but I want to do it for entrepreneurship. And uh, I really, really liked the, uh, the way that indie hackers did it with the inter interviews. So instead of hiring people to write content, you just interview people, which is uh, just a lot more of a scalable approach and uh, costs a lot less because um, <clears throat> you don't have to hire people to write stuff. So I was like, I want to start the indie hackers, but I want to start it for uh, like non-technical founders, like people that are um, like I had a couple friends that started like, you know, brands or uh, like physical e-commerce products and things like that. I was like, there doesn't seem to be like a really good resource online for people starting uh, physical goods, like stuff you'd see on Kickstarter, Indiegogo or Shark Tank or things like that. So that's when I had that. That's when I really had the moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's how the idea got started. And I, I, I'll, I don't want to keep going if you guys want to keep hearing more about like once I actually got started, but I'll stop there for a second.
Yeah, yeah. I mean, let, let, yeah, it, mean, it makes sense to go kind of the, the first steps. Um, how did you think about, you know, the, the first interviews, uh, picking those companies and the hope, because you were still working on your full-time job, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is about a year ago. And um, <clears throat> I just started by, so I, I built a WordPress. I, I just started using WordPress. Even though I'm an engineer, I was like, uh, I should just focus on getting the interviews and not build some crazy website because, you know, the thing I would love, the same thing is like, if you really enjoy working on, I guess I would really enjoy working on the tech side so much that I might not actually launch the act, do the hard part, which is getting the interviews. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to do it on WordPress and find people to interview. Cause that was the hardest part, especially now it's like not so hard, but back then when you don't have a website, like how could you interview and like, how do you convince people to be on your website? So to find interviews, I just started with friends. Um, I, like I told you, I had like a couple friends that had started um, physical goods, products, brands, whatever. So I started calling them and I called them on the phone and we have like a phone uh, conversation for like an hour and a half. I record it and then I transcribe it to text, which is I don't do that anymore, but it was uh, a really, it's really hard to take an audio interview and then condense it to a, like a, a text format that it's, it's first of all, just hard to do because there's not like a great technology that will convert it well. But then once you actually convert it to text and you send it to the person, you're like, yo, this is the interview we had. They're like, oh, I don't like that. So the way you talk is, I think, is a lot different than the way you want to write. So that was like something that just took forever. Um, I got like, reaching out to friends and then friends of friends, I got like five interviews completed doing that. Um, so I, at that point I had like three interviews and I just started, I wanted to have like a, this kind of like, I know indie hackers had this, this launch where uh, they had like 10 interviews and they went like crazy on hacker news and uh, a few other like websites. It was just like such a brilliant idea at the time. And they'd had really, they launched it really well. But for me, I was just like, I just need to get this out of here. I have three interviews done. So I just started releasing them. I just started posting. And this time I don't have, I didn't have any following or no one knew about the blog. And I just posted like on my personal Facebook, got like, I don't know, maybe a hundred people on my website for like that whole month. Um, you know, the early days were like, nowadays it's, it's like 30,000 people are visiting a month. But in, in the first month it was like 300 people visited the website. So I was just like, and yeah, I guess it was just pushing out how I could, but that's one thing that I always tell people now, or I think about a lot is a lot of people put out side projects that are like maybe a SaaS app or, or something. And they release it on product hunt and all the other places you can release your project. And they do like a launch where social media, whatever, and they get all this traffic. But then after you launch it, you don't really have like a lot of ways you can keep bringing it in front of people. And that's the beauty of like blogs and content businesses and podcasts. And, and every time you release an article, you have, um, you have like another, uh, a mini launch. And the other piece that's really great about that is now that you like, people expect you to launch. So like, a lot of times another issue is like motivation is like, Oh, well, I released this and now I don't have the motivation to release something else, like another feature or whatever, because no one's asking for it. But with content, it's like, you're already just committed by the fact that you released a blog. Like a blog is just, everyone knows that 
you have to release content consistently. So you just do it. Like you just, there's really no choice. So that was two things that I, I, I really learned is that um, a lot of people ask like, how do you, how do you keep going? And my answer to that is like, I just really didn't have any choice but to keep going because like every time I released a new interview, it would get like maybe a little bit more people would have viewed it or something happened that was like unique and cool. And I experimented with something else. And just like that constant feedback loop is like probably what made it successful. So how did you go from 300 to 30,000 visitors? Yeah, that's a great question. So that was me just, I think the number one thing is just consistency and, and being persistent about uh, releasing content and doing it so in like a organized manner. So like a, having the agreement with myself that I would release three interviews a week, which is pretty much what I did up until now, which is more, but like just knowing, sorry, there's the background noise there. There's a dog. Okay. Um, just knowing how much uh, I had to like doing the weekly newsletter and, and all that. So just the consistency, like I don't think I've ever missed a newsletter since I started and it's been a year and um, I've never not, I've never gone a, because I can kind of plan out posts ahead of time. I've never gone a week without posting. So I would say just the number one thing is the consistency. Um, actually bringing people to the website to get specific about it is I found the, the best channel for me and it was, it's kind of an untapped channel, but it's Reddit. And I found that Reddit is um, a lot of people are a little bit scared of Reddit because it's the uh, you, you get a lot of hate on there. So there's a it's anonymous forum, so people can say whatever they want, and um, the the kind of culture there is very anti corporate, anti establishment. So um, it's definitely an interesting place uh, to share your content, but it's also a monster website. It's a huge website. I think it's like the third biggest website in the world. And they have in terms of traffic and they have um, just different niche for every single, they have every single niche you can imagine because of how it's separate it's work. So I got my, I think I really like, I know indie hackers really got their momentum from, from this forum called hacker news, just the Y Combinator forum. But I really got my start from the r slash entrepreneur subreddit. So I would, um, I would share my interviews in uh, a Reddit format on Reddit. So instead of just like, so most subreddits don't allow you to just link to uh, other, uh, just link. In Reddit, you can have a self-post and a link. So on some subreddits, they really don't like spam. So they only let you self-post. So I would take all the content from my blog and I would paste it into Reddit and make it friendly. And like in the intro, I'd, I'd like introduce myself and, and say who I am and all that. And then because I'm sharing uh, the revenue numbers of uh, the people that I interview, it usually is like you can make sort of, uh, I mean, it's not clickbait, but um, it makes the title really interesting. Like I would make a title like, um, do you guys allow cursing on your podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's this uh, one of the biggest posts I did is this company that I interviewed that sells like chocolate penises. It's like a prank. Uh, it's like a, a chocolate molded to look like a penis. So I made the title 
uh, $30,000 a month selling chocolate dicks. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it just like blows up on Reddit because it's like really funny. And uh, who would like, ha- like, how could you not click on something that says $40,000 a month selling chocolate dicks? So I would just, and then I do like, uh, I don't know. One guy had a bidet. My, my, one of my first big ones was like a, a guy that sells bidets. So I just said like $10,000 a month selling bidets. Like people are just going to click on it. And then when you click on it, it's this giant interview that's actually providing value. It's not some some spam. So the Reddit was, was I think, was a really big thing because although it doesn't drive like a ton of traffic to my website, it builds a – like I personally think it builds a really big brand because – you can see when you post on Reddit, you can see actually how many people view to post. Like you see upvotes. Anyone can see upvotes, which is like the most upvotes I got is like a thousand or something. But when you look at the views of the post, most of my posts that go big get like 50 to 60,000 views. So that's like really, really big numbers. It's not like maybe like only a couple thousand end up making it to my website, but they're still seeing my my brand and my website and like, you know, eventually they'll become subscribers hopefully and, and building the brand. And that's also helped attract a lot of new interviews. I've got like all my, not all of them, but most of my big interviews have come uh, to me and said like, Oh, we've seen you on Reddit and we want to get interviewed like that. So that was a big one. And then some other stuff that I've done is um, hacker news is another really good source uh, for traffic, I had one uh, interview that just went crazy on there and got like thirty-five thousand people to visit my website. Um, but it's not as—it's not really as much as my niche. This is more the e-commerce side. And they're the more tech. Another thing is now is uh, organic search, like Google search, is starting to finally happen for a starter story. So that's helping it grow a lot, and this is really nice because you don't have to work for it. Like uh, when I when I do Reddit or social media or whatever, you're always having to to work, but was um, organic search, not as much. Uh, and then, yeah, just social media. I think I, a lot of the traffic on the website is direct. I think it's like third. Now it's like 30, 30, 30, like 30 direct, 30 social, which is like uh, social media and Reddit and all that. And then 30 organic search. So a lot, I think a lot of the interviews also just get shared around uh, through email or text or whatever. If I can interrupt you, sorry, uh, about Reddit and Hacker News in particular, do you put, because you create the post on Reddit and you have the whole interview, the whole copy there, yeah. um, how do you link it and integrate it? Basically, how do you drive traffic back to your website, if you can mention the specifics there? I'm curious. Yeah, sure. So all I do is, um, <clears throat> well, I think I think about it more in terms of providing benefit for the interviewer rather than me, because... Um, I think that is more important than getting traffic to my website. Like I have a million chances to bring people to my website. Like I can post on Reddit multiple times a week, but it's more important to provide that benefit to the people that are interviewed because um, they want the publicity. So um, all I do is I just say, Hey everyone, like in the beginning of the post and you can, um, I don't know if you guys have show notes or whatever, but I can send you my, uh, my account so you can see it i just say hey pat from starter story here with another interview and i link starter story as the hyperlink and then at the bottom like i have um i have a little bit of an intro because the important thing about reddit is um don't come off as just a copy and paste you want to look like you put like at least some work into sharing with the community and building your rapport with the community uh, it really goes a long way to be honest and um 
yeah, so I do that. And at the end, I just put a link to the, the full post and say, like, hey, if you want to see this post with the photos and, and whatever, like you can see it there. But I never ask for like, I want to I try to keep it as um, non spammy as possible and providing the most value to the Reddit community um, as I can. So even though that it uh, only get maybe if I have a really big interview, it will drive um, let's say 50,000 people to the Reddit posts, according to Reddit's uh, stats, and it may drive a thousand people to my website. Uh, but the traffic that does go to my website is really high quality because people, I can, you, I can see through Google Analytics, it's like they stay for like twice the amount of time that any other uh, people reading stay. And they are the likelihood that they subscribe to the newsletter is like twice two or three times as likely. So like eventually they click through and that's kind of how I see it, I guess. If that makes sense. What would you say if you, if you have that data, what would you say is kind of the, the common threats that it makes the interviews go big? Is it the, for example, is it the title? Is it the network of the actual interviewee? Then maybe sharing you know, his network or have you seen, you know, from your experience, any common, um, Common threads, yeah. Yeah. When it comes to yeah, it's a really good question. Really good question. Um, so what I mean, what works on Reddit? I'll say what works on Reddit first is Reddit loves again the non-spammy kind of male. Is it's a more of a? It's obviously a, a way more males on the website than females. So products like chocolate dicks was just like through the roof. People love that unique kind of really niche stories. And products, like another one that did really well was um, I interviewed this company that sells uh, aviation-focused products. Like they have a, they have this meme. They have like a couple Instagram and Facebook meme accounts for people in the aviation industry, people that do like air traffic controller uh, type jobs. This is whole niche, and this guy makes like thirty-five thousand dollars just catering to this niche, selling them products giving them memes on their Instagram or whatever. And the title title for that one was like $35,000 a month selling memes to air traffic controllers or something like that. Reddit loves a really unique story and they hate a not unique story. Like if a story is bland, which, you know, I'll admit that not all the stories on starter story are the most unique. <clears throat> Often I won't even post it to Reddit because it's just, Again, just try not to come off as spammy, giving them giving a really good story, um, a unique product, or also obviously like high revenues is also going to blow through the roof. So um, one that did really well was we, we interviewed Kalo, Q-A, I don't even actually know how to pronounce it, Q-A-L-O. That's the biggest interview we did in terms of revenue. They do like 2.5 million a, m- a month and they're like um, on the Inc. 5,000 list or whatever. So that the ones like that obviously do really well. So high revenue, like uh, a big big numbers. I think I noticed this on YouTube too. Is that YouTube video? A lot of people that are smart on YouTube are putting dollar signs, monetary amounts in titles. I think in general, just um, even it doesn't even have to be like high. Like I've, I've seen this video on YouTube where it's like um, five. I, they compare two people that make. Uh, someone that makes a really low salary and someone that makes a really high salary and they like go through the days of their lives. And just because they put the money amounts in the title, I think the posts do better. I think that's just like a, I've noticed that since I've started star stories, um, just putting a money amount in your titles or in your 
however you attract people to your content works really well. So I will always put the money in there. And then, yeah, unique and weird stories uh, do really well too. So when you started interviewing people, I wonder, was there a story that stands out? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I really like the story of one of the first, the, so the first one that ever went big on um, on Reddit was this guy who sold the bidets, which I mentioned earlier. It's like a um, a butt cleaning device. I'm, I don't know what they call them anywhere else, but it's like a, um, he has like a handheld version, which is really popular in uh, countries like India, but it's not at all a thing in uh, the US and Canada. So this guy uh, took this idea and he started selling it in Canada. And he just has like, this really cool story about how he was working this corporate job and he uh, started getting into selling these bidets online and he became almost like a plumber because he wanted to make sure that they, uh, that they work. So like after getting off his corporate job, he'd like go be driving around and installing bidets in people's homes to make sure it was like the perfect product. And, um, and, and he really understood the, the product and the tech and the industry, I guess. So I thought that was a really cool story. And that was the first one that really blew up. So um, that's that one really did shape what Starter Story became, I think. Yeah. Right, right. So at what point do you decide, okay, I have enough of this balancing full-time job and this project is stable enough or it allows me to sustain a lifestyle where I can go full-time on it? Yeah, yeah. So for me, it took... I mean, I started started a story in November last year and here we're at, or maybe like October last year and here we're at November and I quit my job uh, last month. So early last month. And I would say that, and I had, the revenue was like 1,500 or 1,700 around that point where I quit. But I actually kind of, I mean, I always knew that I wanted to quit, but Personally, my situation is like I was. Act, I'm actually in it, was and still am not as not as bad anymore. But in some personal, like student loan debt and stuff like that. So maybe if I had the means to quit earlier, I would. But I was basically just saving as much as I could for when I was going to quit. But actually, what ended up quitting, and I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I did this thing called the the 24 hour startup, where I launched a website or I, I launched a, a web app. Uh, in 24 hours and I live streamed it on Twitch. And uh, after I did that, it kind of like blew up on Twitter and a lot of people are now like doing live streams on Twitch and and all that. So I did that and like um, I did that in like late October on a kind of a whim and it was, it has nothing to do with starter stories. It's a a totally different thing, but I was just like kind of bored and uh, wanted to create this product that I've been thinking about for a while. So I did that and I launched, um, I launched a startup in, in 24 hours. So I streamed myself like coming up with the idea, buying the domain, uh, coding, like planning the features, coding up, uh, with the Google API, which is, I did this project where you can like create a, uh, a blog, your own personal blog on Google docs. That was the idea, which is just like pretty basic, small idea. Did that and built like the landing page and like finalized the app and did the testing. I did it all in a span of 24 hours on Twitch and like 10,000 people watched it and it just completely like kind of went like kind of viral in the uh, this indie hacker maker community on Twitter. And I gained like 
thousand or two thousand Twitter followers. And at that point, I like I was like ready to quit my job, but I wanted to give it another six months and just keep saving. But after that happened, I was just like, all right, this is the moment where like something good came out of this. And I cannot, I don't think I can have a full-time job anymore. And I just need to like move. I, I left New York City. I moved back to, uh, or I moved to my mom's place in Utah just for the time being. And now I'm going to go overseas to live cheaply because the income that I make is um, like not like my old salary, but it's enough to sustain myself. Like if I lived in Thailand or uh, as a digital nomad somewhere. So how, going back to your question is, if I, if that didn't happen, I probably would have been doing this for another six months and try to get to three or $4,000 a month in, uh, in revenue on the project and then would have quit. How are you monetizing uh startup story? Because it, it might be useful for anyone, you know, who's passionate about creating content, but then when they have the audience, some people struggle with monetizing that. How are you yeah. approaching it? The way I approached it was, um, so getting sponsors, so having the newsletter sponsor and uh, front page sponsored by companies, I think the advantage that I have is uh, <clears throat> I'm selling, or I guess the businesses that want to get in front of my audience are like selling to other businesses. So like my audience is businesses, e-commerce businesses that are willing to spend um, more money than let's say if you have a website about like, I don't know, uh, Apple products or something like that. It's a lot harder to monetize a website about Apple products because what are you really going to sell? It's a lot harder to sell because you're selling to one to consumers, which are going to buy a lot less. And um, yeah, in general, it's just harder to sell. So for me, even though my audience is pretty small, uh, the audience itself is, is pretty high quality. It's businesses that are, you know, always, and especially e-commerce businesses that are, I, they, they do buy a lot of because they're not engineers and the en engineers often have this mindset they just build their own tools and make it as cheap as possible this was, that's the way i think so i know that i feel but <clears throat> e-commerce companies are way more inclined to buy products and uh, services that they need to make their business run better so i haven't it it was pretty easy to monetize the website with a very small audience like in in, in comparison i was monetizing uh at like maybe 10 or tw i started the website and then like i didn't monetize it for like three to four months just building it up and and i, I honestly had no idea how to monetize the website so i was just like putting it off and just focusing on growth but once i got to 10 or twelve thousand uh visitors a month i just started emailing uh companies that sell uh software to e-commerce companies like uh, review software. So like um, when you sell your product, you want to get reviews on Amazon or in other places to, to help boost the, uh, how your product looks with reviews. Um, like one of that, they sponsored me uh, when I, and uh, the, they sponsored me for like, you know, three or $400 a month. It was really small, like nothing crazy, but this kind of add up. You have that one and then you have your newsletter sponsor and then you can just, um, put like native ads on your website. So like, instead of using like Google ads sense or whatever it is, where it's like pennies on the dollar, you just, <clears throat> I would just come to agreements with these companies and say, Hey, I would put this, this ad, it's not going to be blocked by ad blockers on the website. 
and um, it's going to cost this much and this is how many clicks you can expect to get. And then we just like make a deal through PayPal. So that's kind of how I monetized it. And it was, I mean, it wasn't that easy. It was like just a lot of cold emails to these companies and like coming to deals, like just on like not that much money, but um, as it grows, that becomes um, a decent way to monetize the website. But eventually I want to um, focus more. And this is something that I've done since um, the early days of like just, you know, wheeling and dealing a native ads on your website is now I'm focused on uh, long-term sponsors. So getting someone to sponsor the website for six months rather than one month and getting someone to sponsor the newsletter for uh, a longer time. So you just have that baseline of cash and then you can focus on content and features. And then also you can, what I want to eventually build is uh, like a membership to starter story, like where you get premium features, access to more content and you pay a monthly fee. So that's, that's where I see a lot of business, uh, a lot of publications going as they get bigger, like obviously like the New York times has this, has that model and they're doing really well. And you see a lot of uh, companies starting to do a uh, publication, starting to do that rather than wheeling and dealing ads, which gets really tiring and is not fun. Uh, and it's kind of a stressful way to also make money too. So. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, when it turns to your, uh, you mentioned already touched on it several times, your consistency. Um, can you take us through your calendar, your editorial calendar? So how often do you create posts? How often do you email your subscribers? Uh, and uh, what care do you take that you don't alienate people with or spamming them too much or posting yeah. too infrequently so they lose interest and don't come back? Yeah, that's a great question. I've heard, I mean, I send a, so I'll walk through the first part of the question is the content calendar is when I first started, I just had this plan to release um, like one interview a week. And then that quickly jumped to like three interviews a week. Um, and I would, I would just in terms of like how I personally did it, I would just like say, I'm going to release an interview on Tuesday, Thursday, and then Sunday. I think that was what I did because Tuesday was like when I was sent on my newsletter. So I'd always want to do a new uh, story then. And then later in the week and then on the weekend too, it's like a decent time to, to share something, especially on Sundays. So I just do that. And then I um, quickly realized that I needed like a system to do that um, because finding interviews is, uh, I, I wanted to assist the engineer inside of me, wanted to like systemize everything so that I'm not like, just, just having like um, a database of people that interviews in the pipeline and people that I could interview. So I started using this program called Streak, S-T-R-E-A-K, which is like a CRM that sits on top of uh, Gmail. So like you can turn your emails into uh, records in your CRM, which is really helpful. So I use that and then put interviews in stages. So I'd have like, um, I would also to make sure that I could release three interviews a week, I would have to make sure that I had contacted enough people that would say yes. So I would send like, let's say 50, 25, whatever, 50 emails a week. Or so let's say if I wanted three interviews a week, I would have to send an email or be talking to or whatever with, for, with 30 people, let's say 10% people actually convert to a published interview. So I had to keep that in mind and always be, doing my constant outreach um, 
and then putting it into my funnel of uh, uh, in my CRM, like I said, like the, they're in the process of um, cold email and then they've responded and then they've agreed to the interview. And then uh, now they're writing the interview and then now it's going through the revisions process and then now it's getting to published. So just, I'm not going to go into details of all that, but it just, you just kind of learn. Uh, I didn't know anything about that world before uh, and it's all, only me working on it. So, uh, and I have, I have gotten some help, but um, just kind of figuring out my system to get interviews out. So once I actually figured out um, how I could release the amount of content that I wanted to, it just comes down to just executing that plan. Uh, and then <clears throat> the other question was on, in terms of like how often to share that content. For me, I don't really see an issue with just posting as many interviews as possible on the website because I'm not uh, pushing those. I'm not pushing every single interview out um, as with the same, uh, I guess, uh, work on each one. Like, um, to be honest, there's usually one or every so interviews are so good that I will do all the things I can to share it. Um, but oftentimes I just, I, I, I look at things less about, I mean, I always make, I try to make sure that each interview is as good as possible, but um, I'm more focused on just putting out as many interviews as possible. So I do want to eventually scale to right. Like right now it's like, um, seven, let's say seven pieces of content a week, maybe six. I'd like to get to like 15 or 20 pieces of content. And I don't really see an issue with it, with like overbearing people because I only send the newsletter once a week and people are opting into my social media uh, as they wish. And I don't, I don't post everything to like, let's say Reddit. I don't, I don't uh, tweet every single interview for my personal account um, because I believe that the posting as much content as possible is great for people that land on my website and are, let's say I have 10 interviews about someone starting uh, a, a company about uh, making t-shirts, then they're going to have 10 interviews or they can see that maybe th those 10 interviews haven't been pushed into everyone's face, but those exist. And then my website is more than just a blog, but I have different ways to filter data. And I do want to build more features like that, that allow that. And also it's great for search engines too. The more content you have, the uh, more people will come to your website through search engines. So I do, I have been thinking about moving my uh, newsletter to be twice a week, which is, not, I'm not sure if people want that, but what everyone says on the publisher side, like uh, I've heard some interviews with indie hackers and people that work in the publishing, it's just like send two or three a week. And from the, metric side of like your click rates and your open rates will be better. So I don't, I'm not really sure how I feel about that, but um, they also, another thing to keep in mind, which I always hear or I hear from, from very smart people is like, you, oops, you have this, um, you have this like picture of your business where, um, how can I say this? You know, every interview, like you've shared, you're, you know, everything you've done about your business and everything you've shared, but you have to kind of step out of that and imagine yourself as like a random person that lands on your website or just finds out about starter story. Like I have so many old interviews that are so good that it's so, I want to be able to resurface those interviews to people that haven't seen them 
but it's like really hard for me to envision like it feels spammy to like resurface old interviews but like if you ask based on what I've read and what I've heard from people is like, you need to be resurfacing those because 95% of people never even heard of it and would probably like the interview. So yeah, yeah. I'm still, still learning about that, but I think it's a very good point. Yeah. We kind of had the same, uh, cause we try to also put out a lot of content as much as we can. Uh, and you kind of feel that there's a lot going out, but then if you talk to people, you know, outside of the, uh, they don't have much context. They're probably reading just the, like the Facebook post. So they're usually following on one medium. Um, yeah. So you, yeah, yeah, I guess you can, you can never know them with, with content. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people get nervous about releasing so much content because you get self-conscious about it. I, I definitely experienced that a lot in the beginning. You just feel like, Oh, now I'm that guy that puts out content like Buzzfeed or something like that. But the, the, eventually you just have a mindset change where it's like if people want to read it they will and if they don't then screw them like why should i care about what someone thinks about how much content that we put out at you know that's just their opinion and um for as many people that hate your content like there's on reddit i have so many haters um i but i also have so many supporters there's always going to be half as many people that hate your stuff and think you should you're just putting making blog spam and then there's the other half of people that love it and want more of it so you really just have to i've i've learned and still learning that um just cannot listen to those people uh they're just haters and they're not creators so i think there's a big difference between people like us that are um creators versus consumers and uh creators just don't have the time to really think about something like that like the how much content is being put out by someone is not like something that even concerns us. And it's more um, when I see someone who puts out like a daily vlog, I have just so much respect for that person. Whereas a hater would be like, I don't want to watch someone's vlog every day, but like screw them, you know? Yeah. Well, if you look at, you know, by definition, all the, let's say all the successful YouTubers, Instagram influencers, people, big publication, they, they always, you know, do a lot of content. So, I mean, yeah. that's kind of a good data point to uh, to think about for both of us. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you touched on it a little bit, but what are the, let's say, the six months to one year plans to start a story in yourself? You mentioned some some location changes. How are you thinking about that? You're saying asking for the next six to six months to a year? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> right now uh, I'm fully working on this 24-hour startup challenge, which is uh, – the way I did the 24 hour startup, I'm like making it so that hundreds of people can do it in one day. So that's like, that's happening in like two weeks. So I'm like fully focused on that, but and it's, it's good timing because, um, things get a little bit slow, uh, for my kind of business during November and December, because, uh, it's just the holidays and e-commerce businesses are working really hard for their black Friday and their Christmas, which is the biggest time of the year. So, uh, it's a little bit harder to get interviews and in general a lot because it's kind of a B2B website, like things are going to be a little bit slow for the next two months. But for my plan for six months to a year is I want to um, interview more than just e-commerce. So I'm starting to expand to, um, again, my, my goal is to interview mostly non-technical founders. And I think a lot of really, really interesting businesses are coming out of, uh, blogging and 
creators like YouTubers, like we were saying, podcasters, and um, just even people that are starting tech businesses that are, um, you know, I guess every business now has a tech element to it. So just lots of people that are starting more than just e-commerce businesses. Um, and I'd also like to, like I was saying earlier, build um, a subscription model, to start making um, like a more consistent stream of revenue by providing uh, access to exclusive content and things like that. Um, like I said, uh, <clears throat> the plan is to uh, roll out like crazy amounts of content. So we, we, I did a hundred and let's just say a hundred interviews in a year. I'd like to do like 20, let's, I did like 130 pieces of content in a year with a side project. Now that I'm doing it full time, uh, I'd like to do, let's say how the number is like 15 to 20 a week. So that's like, let's say 50 a month times 10 is 500. So I'd like, I've gotten this far with a hundred interviews. I can only imagine what's going to happen in one more year with 500 more interviews or 500 more. I'm also expanding the, um, to be not just interviews, but also blog, uh, user uh, submitted content forum, stuff like that. So from a traffic perspective, I can really only expect that it's going to five X as well. I hope so. Um, especially with uh, organic traffic picking up and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, the number one goal is to really release, uh, just crazy amounts of content. Um, and also another thing that I want to do is just build more, uh, data features. So like, um, cool, like, uh, sorting features, like more, getting more, um, I kind of want to build like some kind of LinkedIn style features, like community features where you can see, uh, businesses. Like I can go see, uh, you guys, like your guys's profile, and like all the businesses you've created uh, more than just Dulo. So like uh, you guys would have your own profile and starter story. And then this would be like almost like more LinkedIn style where you can connect and get data on uh, lots of e-commerce businesses and stuff like that. So that's the goal. I mean, now it's really just coming down to just executing on that and making sure that I can push out and do all that content. Yeah, well, it's a solid and a busy plan for the future. Uh, very nice. Um, can you tell us where can people find out more about Starter Story, how they can reach out to you if they want to, uh, and any other plugs or links that you want to share? Yeah, um, <clears throat> starterstory.com, uh, S-T-A-R-T-E-R story.com. Uh, and then you can find, I post a lot on Twitter, like just like I do revenue every month. I post a revenue report of like how much I made and all the traffic I got and all that. And that's my Twitter is the Pat Walls, T-H-E-P-A-T-W-A-L-L-S. Uh, and then if you want to reach out to me or anything like that, my email is uh, on Starter Stories About page. So you can find it there. Okay, Pat. Thanks for coming on, Pat. Thanks for our features. Well, and let's uh, let's think about a part two sometime in the future so we can update yeah. on the progress. We'll love that. We'll love that. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it and found it valuable, we would really appreciate your support by liking, rating, subscribing to the Early Days podcast. This program is produced and hosted by Dulo, that's me and Julian. And as we mentioned in the very beginning, we make non-iron dress sheets from performance fabrics. 
If you want to learn more, head over to wherdulo.com, that's W-E-A-R-D-U-L-O.com, and take a look at our products, our story, and the journey of how we're building the business. Until next time, bye-bye.